This past Monday was the 150th anniversary of the death of David Livingstone. Now, if I had to guess, I would say that name is probably not that familiar to most of you all, at least not as familiar as the names of other great missionaries from the past, like William Carey or Lottie Moon. But there was a time in the middle of the 19th century when basically everyone in England and America knew his name. David Livingstone was the first missionary to bring the gospel to the interior of Africa. And I thought that since today is Student Mobilization Sunday, a day when we honor our summer missionaries and our graduates, that it would be fitting to include these words from David Livingstone to a group of students. After spending 16 years in Africa, this is what Livingston had to say to students at Cambridge. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity? the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice, said the man who sacrificed his whole life to open up the interior of Africa to the spread of the name of Jesus. Livingston's words are especially appropriate given this day and given this text. Because here in our text, God speaks through the prophet Malachi to deliver a strongly worded message about honor and sacrifice. Malachi delivered God's message to the Jewish exiles who had been granted the freedom to return to their homeland, but who, for all intents and purposes, were still living as slaves to the Persian king. Under the leadership of prophets like Haggai and leaders like Nehemiah, the people had rebuilt their temple and rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. But even though their bodies were back in their native land, their hearts were still far from God. So God sent one final prophet with one final message before 400 years of silence. That prophet's name was Malachi. The first part of God's message through Malachi in verses 1 through 5 is about God's love. The second part here in our text is about God's honor, specifically about how God is worthy of great honor through great sacrifice. Look with me at the text beginning in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? God begins by stating a truth that would have been so obvious in that time and place that nobody would have even imagined questioning it. But the disadvantage for us as we come to this text this morning is that we do not live in that time or that place. But rather, we live in a cultural moment where the concept of honor is almost completely non-existent. Although it is the fifth commandment, American children, by and large, do not honor their parents. Employees do not sit around the break room praising their bosses. 
Pretty much the only institution left in our culture where there's some semblance of honor left is our nation's military. But other than that, honor is basically a foreign concept to the average 21st century American. And what makes honor even more difficult for us to understand is that it's hard to define. In the original languages of the Bible, there are a range of words used for honor, like glory, praise, respect, reverence, reputation, fear, and esteem. But the word that probably comes closest to the biblical idea is our English word, weight. In the past, people and things that were weighty were typically worthy of greater honor than people and things that were not. We still have some intuitive sense of this, That's why yesterday, when the new king of England was crowned, they didn't place a flimsy cardboard Burger King crown on his head, but a royal crown of gold and precious stones weighing nearly five pounds. And if that doesn't seem very weighty to you, there's a story in Chronicles where King David conquers an enemy king. They take the crown from that enemy king and put it on David's head and says that that crown weighed a talent of gold. A talent of gold was 75 pounds. Weighty golden crowns are not just for anybody. They are for kings and queens who are figuratively weightier, worthy of more honor than the average citizen. So when we honor someone or something, we are recognizing their weightiness. We are recognizing their worth and responding appropriately. And this weightiness comes from who they are or what they have done. So fathers and masters are worthy of honor simply by virtue of who they are. And if an earthly father and an earthly master is worthy of honor, how much more our heavenly father and our heavenly master who is the Lord of hosts. That's a title for God which appears over and over in this section. It means God is the commander in chief of the armies of heaven innumerable mighty angelic warriors march at the sound of his command. Our heavenly father, our heavenly master, the commander-in-chief of heaven's military is worthy of great honor simply because of who he is. But the problem is he's not getting the honor he deserves from his people or his priests. Instead of recognizing his weightiness, They are belittling him. Verse 6. If then I'm a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, O priests who despise my name. God's name represents everything about him. It's his reputation, his honor. And so when it says that the priests are despising God's name, it's the same thing as saying they are dishonoring God's reputation. But rather than responding humbly... They respond argumentatively. How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar, God answers. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? God tells the priests they are specifically dishonoring him by sacrificing polluted animals. 
not environmentally polluted, but religiously polluted, ritually unclean, defiled animals. God's law specifically forbids blemished animals from being offered as a sacrifice. Only unblemished, spotless, perfect animals can be sacrificed to God. That's why God doesn't just call their sacrifices polluted. He calls their sacrifices evil. Sick and lame animals were basically worthless. You couldn't breed them and nobody really wanted to eat them, so you couldn't sell them either. They were the disgusting leftovers of the flock. But rather than taking them to the garbage dump to rot, the people were taking their leftovers to the temple to sacrifice to God. They were treating God's holy altar like a trash can. In disgust, God points out that they wouldn't even offer these to an earthly ruler. Look at verse 8. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? On the Persian governor's birthday, they would never show up with a lamb with three legs and pus oozing out of its eyes as their gift. They would be ashamed of themselves. They would never dishonor an earthly ruler with such an offering, and yet they have no problem giving their leftovers to the ruler of heaven and earth. But if we're being honest, we have to confess that we do the same thing today, don't we? We make evil sacrifices just like they did whenever we give God our leftovers. Our calendars and our bank statements are all the evidence God needs to prove it to us. Is God getting the first line of your budget or just the leftovers at the end of the week? Do you devote the best time of your day to seeking him in word and in in prayer or just the scraps of time you have left over after scrolling through your phone? Do you absolutely pour yourself out to make money, but then just have a little energy left in the tank to serve God or others? Anytime we give God less than our best, we dishonor him with evil sacrifices. And God would rather have no sacrifices than evil sacrifices. That's what he says in verses nine and 10. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? It's another rhetorical question. Obviously, the answer is no. Verse 10, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Think about it. God went to great lengths to bring his people back to their homeland to rebuild their temple. And yet, God says, now, if this is how it's going to be, you might as well just shut it down. God is not going to turn a blind eye to their blind animals. He is sick and tired of their sick sacrifices. God actually says that their sacrifices are in vain. And let this be a warning to each of us today, that just like the Jewish priests in our text, We might think that we are good religious people honoring God and sacrificing for him. But if we're just giving God our leftovers and our hearts are far from him, then we are sacrificing in vain. God continues in verse 10. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Notice 
God doesn't say here, I have no pleasure in your sacrifices. That's true, but that's not what he says here. He doesn't say, I have no pleasure in your offerings. He says, I have no pleasure in you. Not only are our sacrifices evil and displeasing to God, we are evil and displeasing to God. And we ought to be very afraid when the one who controls the army of angels is displeased with us. He has prepared a fiery place for those who displease him, and it is not a place you or I ever want to go. But this just goes to show that ultimately, God is after something more than our sacrifices. God is after our hearts. God doesn't just want our sacrifices. God wants us. That's why he doesn't care if the temple stays open or not. If drastic measures like shutting down the temple will get their attention and bring them back to God, he'll do it. He'll do whatever it takes to get their hearts and to get the honor he deserves. Even if that means he has to shame them into repentance. And really, that's what he's been doing this whole time. God wants them and God wants us to repent of our evil sacrifices that dishonor him. God is shaming them into honoring him. But he takes it to a whole other level in verse 11. Look there. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, that's a way of saying across the whole earth, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. God declares that a day is coming when his name will be great, when he will be honored everywhere in every place among every nation. The nations refers to the Gentiles, to all the non-Jewish people. So not just the nations we might see on a geopolitical map today like Egypt or Greece, but people groups like the Babylonians or the Persians. This statement is shocking for multiple reasons. For starters, God says that in every place he will get offerings. But at that time, the only place where acceptable offerings could be made was at the temple in Jerusalem. There was only one place for sacrifices. But a day is coming, God says, when there will be no need for a temple because God will get sacrifices in his honor all over the world. And perhaps even more shocking than that is the fact that God says he will get pure offerings. Pure offerings from impure Gentiles. At that time, the only people who could make sacrifices were the Levitical priests. And that was only after a lengthy process of ritual purification. There was only one people group that could make sacrifices to God. But a day is coming, God says, when the Gentiles from every people group will be his royal priesthood and make pure sacrifices to him. This prophecy would have been both shocking and shameful to the Jews. It is a beautiful promise of a future day when God will get great glory from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. But more than that, it's also a strong rebuke in the present. The Jews were supposed to be God's children who honored their heavenly father with pure offerings and honored their heavenly master as God's servants with their obedience. Not the filthy pagans. 
It had to be shocking and shameful for the Jews to hear that the unclean Persians would repent and honor God with pure offerings unlike them. Just like it would shock and shame us today to hear that someday prostitutes on Bourbon Street in New Orleans will repent and they won't give God the leftovers of their time and money like we do. They will give God pure offerings. If God's people will not give him the honor he deserves, it won't stop him from getting glory. Because someday, Gentiles from every people group will turn from their sin and honor God with great sacrifices. We get a sense of the kinds of pure offerings, the kinds of great sacrifices God will get from the nations by way of comparison with more of the evil sacrifices of the Jews that we see in the next verses. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but, verse 12, here comes the contrast, but you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. In order to shame the Jews into honoring him, God makes a sharp contrast between the future pure offerings of the Gentiles, which honor his name, and the present polluted evil sacrifices of the Jews which profane it. Now, it's unlikely that the priests were speaking these words out loud, but their actions spoke louder than their words. God knows the secret thoughts of their minds and attitudes of their hearts that remain unspoken. Verse 13, But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. Instead of considering it an honor to be God's priests and to sacrifice to him, they snub their noses up at it. They snub their noses and complain about having to get up every day and sacrifice all day long. Verse 13 continues. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. (laughs) Taken by violence could mean what has been attacked by a predator or what has been stolen by a human. God continues, shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord of hosts? Clearly, no. Verse 14, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. The word Lord here is the same word translated master in verse 6. The people were promising God their best if he came through and answered their prayers, But then when God was merciful, they were faithless and they didn't come through with their end of the promise. They came with less than they had committed. So not only were they dishonoring God by giving him their leftovers, they dishonored him by breaking their commitments and giving less than they had promised. They dishonored him by their bad attitudes and by grumbling. These are more ways that we make evil sacrifices to this day. But since God is making a comparison here, it's worth reminding ourselves that we honor God when we sacrifice and serve with good attitudes and joyful hearts. We honor him when we follow through on our commitments and give him our best. And this is where I want to take a moment to give honor to whom honor is due. Because week after week, I see our church family joyfully sacrificing for God and for one another. Thank you to all of you BFG hosts and leaders who week after week open up your homes to show hospitality without grumbling, 
Thank you for your sacrificial service. Thank you to all of you who keep your commitments and show up Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings to teach the next generation the word of God. Thank you for sacrificially serving our children. Thank you to all of you who sacrifice a morning off each week to get here early and stay late on Sundays so that we can all get in here and worship Jesus together. Thank you for honoring God with your best. Thank you to all of you who give sacrificially and joyfully of your time and energy and money so that we can make the name of Jesus great here in Madison County and to the ends of the earth. These honorable sacrifices are all part of God's plan to get great honor through great sacrifice. But even our evil sacrifices won't stop him from getting the honor he deserves. Look at verse 14. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. He's the commander in chief of heaven's armies. Who's going to stand in his way? What's going to stop him? He will do whatever it takes to get the great global glory he alone deserves. But how? How's he going to do it? If even his own people aren't honoring him, how will God get the honor he deserves from all the peoples? How will he finally get the sacrifices he is worthy of? The answer is, God is going to get the great honor he deserves from all the nations by making the greatest sacrifice himself. You see, We can never make enough sacrifices or great enough sacrifices to give God the honor that he deserves. So God makes the greatest sacrifice for us. The king sacrifices his honor to become a slave. The master humbles himself, taking the form of a servant. What kind of king, what kind of master would do something like that? A great king. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is the great king who becomes a humble servant and perfectly obeyed his heavenly master. Jesus is God's beloved son who perfectly honored his heavenly father. But God offered him up as a sacrifice for our sins and for his honor. God didn't just pull some leftovers out of the back of the fridge. He sacrificed his best for us and for his glory. Don't you see what he's done? God has made the greatest sacrifice worthy of the greatest honor. God sacrifices his honor in order to get even more honor. God is worthy of the greatest honor because of who he is and because of what he has done. He is our heavenly father. He is the king of kings. He is the master of heaven and earth, the commander of heaven's armies. Yes, he is all of that. But on top of all that, he has made the greatest sacrifice worthy of the greatest honor. He has sacrificed himself. But it's not just God who gets great honor from his great sacrifice. We get great honor. On the cross, God the Son gets the shame 
so that by faith in him, we get the honor of being sons of God. King Jesus becomes a servant so that by faith in him, we get the honor of ruling and reigning with him for all eternity. Jesus is the one who gives his honor so that we can gain honor. Now, as his sons and his servants, we have the honor of sacrificing for him. God has sacrificed his honor for our sake so that we will greatly sacrifice for his sake. Jesus is the acceptable sacrifice that makes you acceptable to God. We know that because Jesus died and rose again. If Jesus is still dead in the tomb, then God did not accept his offering. But the good news of the resurrection is that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. God accepts Jesus' sacrifice from his nail-scarred hands. And if God accepts his sacrifice, then why won't you? In the Bible, salvation is called the free gift of God. Today, let go of your sins and by faith receive Christ's offering to you today. When we repent and believe in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, then we are acceptable in God's sight because now we are pure in God's sight. It doesn't matter how evil your sacrifices or sins have been. Jesus is the pure offering that makes you pure before God. With our evil hearts, even our best deeds, even our most righteous acts are like filthy rags. They're like garbage before God. We could never make a pure offering because we are the unclean Gentiles. So God sacrifices his spotless lamb, his unblemished son for us. And when we trust in his sacrifice, he sends his Holy Spirit to purify us, to sanctify us. Jesus gave himself up for us, Paul says in Ephesians, that he might sanctify us through his blood and through his word so that he might present us the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that we might be holy and without blemish. Jesus is working right now in this very moment through his spirit and through his word to make us into a pure offering that will honor God's name amongst the nations. Jesus sacrificed himself to purify us so that we will be a pure offering. Because remember, God doesn't just want our sacrifices. God wants us. God doesn't just want us to make sacrifices. God wants us to be living sacrifices. And by the mercies of God, Paul says in Romans, we are able to present our whole selves as living sacrifices, which are holy and acceptable to God. Through God's greatest sacrifice, we are acceptable and pure to God. We are his royal priests. And now all the sacrifices from our hands are acceptable to God 
through Jesus, our great high priest. Even when we don't give our best, even when we break our commitments, even when we have bad attitudes about serving, Jesus takes those offerings and purifies them by his blood and presents them to God as pure offerings. But the thing is, when we see what God has done, when we see who he is, then we don't wanna make those evil sacrifices anymore. We don't wanna be that kind of impure offering We want to make great sacrifices for our great king who's worthy of great honor amongst all the nations because the only way God's name will be great among all the nations is if we go and make disciples of all nations. And the only way to go and make disciples of all nations is through great sacrifice. But when we understand the gospel, and the way God sacrificed his honor to honor us, then we don't consider those sacrifices wearisome. Rather, like David Livingstone, we consider them a privilege. We consider it an honor to sacrifice a week of our vacation or our summer break to go serve church plants in New Orleans or Peru. We consider it an honor to give up a meal a week and fast and pray and give that extra money to missions. We consider it an honor to sacrifice our comfort and share the gospel with the lost around us here and to the ends of the earth. We consider it an honor to sacrificially give our money so that we can send missionaries to proclaim the the name of Jesus. And we consider it a great honor to sacrifice friends and family and move across the world to an unreached people group that have never heard the gospel before and be the first people in the history of the world to tell them the name of Jesus. What a great honor it is to sacrifice for such a great king. That's what David Livingstone believed. That's why he spent his life spreading the name of Jesus in the interior of Africa and preparing the way for future missionaries to do the same. That's why he said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? It is our honor to be given such a great commission to go and make disciples of Jesus of every nation. It is our honor to sacrifice for God's global glory until the day when the name of Jesus, the name above every name, is great amongst every nation.